Hi, Victoria. So my question has to do with elemental music and pop music. I've read a lot of great stuff on your blog and on your Instagram about elemental music, but I'm feeling drawn more and more to using pop music with my students. And I was wondering about your thoughts on how you can include some of these same principles that help students really learn well through this elemental idea with also using current pop songs. This question comes at a convenient time for me because my big project this month has been a spreadsheet of pop music and potential pedagogical use that I am getting kind of organized for in preparation for this month's planning binder uploads. This month in the planning binder has a huge repertoire focus and uh, this spreadsheet has a column for the song name and then the artist and then ideas for pedagogical use. So how could we potentially use this song for a form understanding or a melodic or a rhythmic or a texture or an expressive expressive understanding all of those things so this happens to come at a time where I've been listening to a lot of pop music uh, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently I recognize that this is a deficit that I have in my own curriculum and it's something that I want to very intentionally work at getting better at so this is nice timing. Very often when we talk about elemental music, we contextualize it within the realm of folk material. That's a very common um, body of repertoire for us to use in the classroom and to use in pairing with this idea of elemental, the basic structures of music. However, folk music is not necessarily synonymous with elemental music. So we can take some of these characteristics, some of these styles and some of these tools of elemental music and, um, you know, consequently elemental teaching and learning, and we can apply them to other genres outside this folk music tradition that so many of us are very comfortable using. And when we start to expand and use some of these principles outside, there are some interesting questions that come up. I feel like I want to give a disclaimer or two before we jump in. The First is just uh, a reminder that there is not a set definition of elemental music. There are many pedagogues who have kind of their own take on this view of music education. And so I don't want anything that I say in this particular space to be taken as gospel for any topic at any time, but very specifically about elemental music. The other thing that I would point out is that the idea of the elemental style is very closely associated with the ORF pedagogy, with the ORF framework of education, but it is absolutely uh, in alignment with many Kodai principles and by that nature, many fire Robin principles and Dalcro's principles. And so I don't want us to pigeonhole this conversation into uh, a rewording of the question. How can I use pop music with the ORF approach? So I want to just make sure that we are talking about this in terms of how children learn best, which is an active approach to musicking and working with vocabulary and with structures and with patterns that we can wrap our heads around at very, very young ages outside of formal music training. 
So those are my two disclaimers that I want to give that uh, I do not have the end all be all perspective on elemental music. And this is an approach to education that spans across many types of music education philosophies. Okay. Disclaimers out of the way. Let's jump in. I would like to frame this conversation around very strictly the structures of what we consider to be elemental in the elemental style. And then I would like to kind of expand that conversation into classroom pedagogy. And I'll add that component um, at the end. Let's look at a framework that we can use to answer this question with elemental style. And when we consider using popular music within that, within that lens, we're going to ask in this piece of popular music in this popular work, what is here that I can use? What is here that students can experience? That's the first half, the elemental style half. What in this is elemental or could be considered to be elemental with a few tiny little tweaks that we'll talk about in a moment. And then the second question, the second part of this framework is about pedagogy. How will this live in the classroom and how can I craft intentional experiences for students out of this popular work? Let's talk about some of the qualities and some of the tools of elemental music, because I did uh, the very, very first episode of this podcast about elemental music. And I'm drawn to this term elemental conversations, because I really like the idea of taking uh, topics and finding some core components that we can use to build off of. When we talk about elemental music, we're going to talk about, or when we talk about elemental music applied in this genre of popular music, we are going to have some natural fits. There are areas of pop music where it's like, yeah, it already is elemental. It's perfect. It's a natural fit. There are also going to be some areas where there could be some challenges. And that doesn't mean when, you know, when we come across a challenge to using elemental music with pop music, that doesn't mean that just because we find a challenge that we can't use it. That just means that we're going to pivot and make a choice. So we'll talk about a natural fit, We'll talk about challenges and then choices that we have because of some of those challenges. The main idea of elemental music is that it is music that uses very basic musical structures, musical elements. Uh, and this does not mean just to reiterate, this does not mean that this kind of music is not artistic. This does not mean that elemental music is not enjoyable to listen to. It just means that the music is using the most foundational building blocks of artistic expression as that uh, exists within music and movement. So one of the traits of elemental music in this elemental style is that we have elemental forms and patterns. That means that uh, we are looking at how we piece music together. There are some very common patterns that we see in how music is often pieced together. And some of those elemental forms, the most common are ABA, AABB, ABBA, and then AAAB. Okay. That is a characteristic, elemental forms. That's a characteristic of elemental music. Luckily for us, 
pop music is designed to be memorable and memorable music happens when we have a combination of familiar and novel subphrases. So when we look at a hook, a pop hook, it is designed to be elemental because we want a structure of familiar and brand new in a musical form setting. Now, very quickly, when we talk about music, we have these capital letters that we talk for sectional form. And then we also have lowercase letters that it's like subphrase form. So let's look at an example of A, A, B, A. Let's look at it in a pop song. And then we're going to look at it in frosty weather as well. This is Clean Bandit. This is the artist's name. And the song is Higher. That hook, that chorus is, but when you look at me, I'm higher, higher, higher. Phrase one eyes on me. I'm higher, higher, higher. Ooh, same thing. So there's our second A. Nothing matters at all when I see you with your... That is a different phrase. So there's our B. Eyes on me. I'm higher, higher, higher. Back to A. So here with that hook, we have A, A, B, A. Interesting because we could take that same phrase structure and sing... Frosty weather, snowy weather, two A phrases. When the wind blows, we all go together. So we have two A's, then an, a B, and then an A again. So two examples of where these elemental forms are just a naturally embedded part of both pop music and folk music. So that's the natural fit element. There is a challenge with approaching pop music in this elemental style though, and that challenge is length. Now that does not mean that we can't use pop music in the classroom. That doesn't mean that we can't use it with this lens of elemental music, but it does mean that we are going to need to make some decisions. One of the characteristics of elemental style that we're talking about over and over is this idea of basic musical structures, basic music foundations that we can take in the classroom and work with them. That's, that's the whole point is that we have broken things down to a fundamental level so that students can be, uh, they can have ownership over these elements. They can do the arranging and the improvisation and the composition one reason that that is very conveniently done with folk material, oftentimes, not all the time, but one reason it is convenient to use folk material is that the length of these songs that we have kind of canonized for our classroom are on the shorter end of music. So we have eight beats, maybe 16 beats or so. That is a good length because that means that we can wrap our heads around them. We, we can break down these bite-sized pieces of music so that we can comprehend them. And when I say comprehend them, I do not necessarily mean within a formal Western notation sense, but I just mean like we can remember them. <laughs> we can remember them long enough to move them around and make creative decisions. And that's the whole point. We want students to be their own composers. So if pop music is, you know, two to three minutes, then we're just going to choose one aspect of that song to really focus in on. Maybe the bridge, maybe the chorus, maybe one of the verses. And so even if we have like a movement activity, 
with the whole song, or if we have a, like a rhythm stick routine that we're doing with the whole song, we are still likely going to take one small section of that piece and give students ownership over that small section. So it would be, uh, in many classrooms, it would be unlikely to say, okay, friends, everyone, please improvise for three minutes all together. Here we go and have students improvise through the whole entire song. That would be unlikely. Perhaps a better choice would be to say in that, you know, A-A-B-A form, you would say like, this is the rhythm that we're all going to play. You improvise this B phrase, and then we all play the A phrase again. That's an example of using elemental form with pop music by just making the choice of what smaller section of this larger work are we going to focus on for pedagogical purposes. Okay, another characteristic of elemental music is that we are using elemental instruments and mixed media. The idea here is that music starts with humans. And for most people, the most naturally occurring instrument is the human body. Elemental music is centered around the body, the human body as a way to express music through movement and speech and body percussion and singing, all of these things. So when we do use instruments, they are going to be the most accessible, the most natural extension of the human body. And in many classrooms, that means things like barred instruments and unpitched percussion. The idea here is that we want to keep the barrier to entry very, very low. So it would be unlikely for us to hand a saxophone to uh, second graders, right? But that same second grader can very easily express melodic ideas on a barred instrument. So that's the logic there. We want the instrumental experiences that we have to be centered around the human body as the primary mode of expression. And then the instruments are a natural extension of the human body. Luckily for us, there is a very natural fit between this idea of elemental music and pop music, and that is with vocals. Vocals are one of the primary instruments that are used in pop music, and that is absolutely in alignment with this idea of elemental music, this elemental style. A uh, drum set in many genres of pop music. And I, by the way, I do know that uh, it's just saying pop music can encompass so many different nuanced genres and subgenres. But in general, using the voice and using drums are very common practices in pop music. And that is absolutely a very natural fit for the elemental style. We do have some challenges with dropping pop music into the classroom in the form of uh, things like guitar or piano or a drum set even. Um, and then all of the technology that goes into pop music as far as synths or computers or MIDI instruments or anything like that, all of those are potentially limited in terms of being naturally occurring extensions of the human body. So that's one challenge. If we were to look at it very strictly with the elemental lens, we would say, mm, I'm not sure that children will be as set up to successfully make musical decisions with this guitar element of the song as they would if we were doing a folk song where we just add a barred instrument part to it. 
And again, just because there is a challenge with dropping it in the elemental style in an elementary general music classroom, that doesn't mean that we can't use it. Again, it just means that we have a choice. So the question we're going to ask ourselves is how can we translate this song into the classroom? A very easy thing to do is that we are probably going to sing the melody. That's probably a given. Um, we could also sing or play the bass line on barred instruments. We could play an instrumental part on barred instruments, right? So like students are probably not going to play guitar in second grade in our general music classes, uh, but it is entirely possible that we could translate that guitar part to barred instruments. And then, Hey, guess what? We could also add our own instrumental parts. That would be really, really fun. And then whatever technology we have in our classroom that is developmentally appropriate, we can use that to add our own musical ideas there. So, you know, in Chrome Music Lab, how there are all those different settings that you can use, like the, you can have a synthesizer or you could use a marimba or you could use a piano. That's an example of developmentally appropriate technology that we can use in collaboration with with pop music. So maybe we set the parameters on the key and we set up the uh, meter in Chrome Music Lab for students and help them make those changes, whatever they might need to do. And then maybe they are coming up with a melody to go on top of the chorus, or maybe they are arranging their own melodic ostinato to go with the song or, you know, the bridge of the song or whatever it might be. So that's an example of developing developmentally appropriate technology or other ways that we can use elemental instruments and mixed media within this pop music lens. Another thought would be, again, taking an instrumental part that exists in the song and translating it to barred instruments. Uh, there is a song that has a really positive message. It's called Up Again. The chorus of it has trumpets that play this kind of pentatonic um, little subphrase, and then the vocals come in. So the trumpets are going to go do, 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 do. He sings, gotta get up, up again. Trumpets come in. Do, 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 do. Gotta get up, up again. There's no reason that students can't take that do 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 mi re do re mi so mi and put that on barred instruments. So we can reimagine how these very produced pop songs can be kind of taken apart so that we can work with them in the classroom. Another really important part of elemental music is accessibility. The idea is that everyone can and everyone should actively participate in elemental music, regardless of their level of formal musical training. And that is one of the reasons that elemental music is so focused. The elemental style is so focused on basic musical structures is because we want it to be as accessible as possible to any child or any adult uh, who hears it so that again, they can take part in it. Okay. Well, that is absolutely a very natural fit for pop music. People love pop music and you don't need to have any sort of formal musical training to engage with it. So that again is a really natural uh, fit in terms of pop music and the elemental style. One challenge that we have with pop music in terms of accessibility is that this is not music that was written for the classroom. This is music written by adults for adults to listen to oftentimes, not all the time. And content aside, you know, that has uh, an impact on the subject matter of the songs and then the specific types of language that artists choose to use in the songs. But aside from 
content and language, the vocal range and the dynamic level isn't always what we would consider to be a healthy model for children. And that's okay. That's not a problem at all because it wasn't intended as a model for the physiological parameters of a child's voice. You know, physically a child's voice just operates differently than an adult's. And that's not a a huge challenge. It's just something to keep in mind. We're going to select music appropriately, especially in terms of range. And this is something that is certainly true for folk music as well. It's just that in general, we have anthologies available to us that are, you know, based on other pedagogues interpretation of things like the content and the language and the range and everything like that. And as this area of pop music is a developing canon and will continue to develop, these are just some of the decisions that we get to make on our own instead of opening up an anthology and saying, Hey, what's a good song to use with second grade? You know, let's jump into some really practical application stuff. Let's expand out of this parameter for elemental style. And let's add a layer of pedagogy. And I'm picking the pedagogy part up from Emily's question. And I want to add uh, another lens, another viewpoint to answer this question. And Emily and I are colleagues and we are internet friends. So I am comfortable doing this in real life application. Let's talk about framing this content in a way that moves from the known to the unknown in education. We want to start with what we refer to as vernacular music and, um, children. This is a topic for another time, but Uh, A child's musical world is where we want to start. And then from those known experiences, we want to highlight something unknown and guide students on a student discovery inquiry-based process. So let's look at some pedagogy ideas with pop music in what we would consider to be the elemental style. We are going to ask three questions. We are going to ask, what are we going to teach? We're going to ask, what will we use to teach it? And then our third question is, what will students experience so that they can construct their own musical knowledge through intentional action? So what will we teach? What will we use? And what will students do? What will they experience? Let's look at that first question. What are we going to teach? Okay, this could be anything. You could have truly any a musical understanding that you want to highlight, but let's just say that we want to use melodic patterns in a tone set that use the extended pentatone specifically with low. So, so let's teach effectively a very short way to say it is let's teach low. So, okay, next, what are we going to use to teach it? What material has this melodic pattern naturally embedded in the music so that students can experience it? Let's use the song Alabama Gal, or let's use a song called Tightrope by the artist Zane. Now, when we talk about this particular application. This is not me saying that this is the correct way to use the song. This is one application, but there are many, 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 many possibilities of how this song might live in your classroom. Okay. So let's talk about the third question. What will students experience? All right, let's experience this melodic material in a context. So not like look at the board, memorize that this is low. So now let's sing it in the song. Let's start with the context first. So we'll start with a musical context. Then we will move to noticing something. This is moving from the known to the unknown. And then we're going to do something with that information. 
So with Alabama Gal, if we want to experience this melodic pattern in a musical context, then we would sing the game. Uh, we'll sing the song and play the game. And that song is come through in a hurry, come through in a hurry, come through in a hurry, Alabama Gal. And then there are other verses that have the game directions kind of embedded in the song lyrics. And that is uh, a characteristic of play parties. So that has low so come through in a hurry in it naturally embedded there. And then this song tightrope is uh, something told me it was you. 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 Okay, so we have this experience. Uh, students can step that beat and snap as they are walking in open space singing the song. So even though there's not a game for students to play, there is something that they can be doing while the song is going on, as opposed to just sitting and listening. Not that sitting and listening is a bad call all of the time, but we want to have active experiences here. Okay, so we have experiencing low so in a musical context. Let's talk about noticing low so. Again, this is moving from the known to the unknown. With Alabama Gal, we would say, hey, uh, what phrase in this song has the lowest pitch? Hmm, interesting. So you're gonna hold up as the teacher, you're gonna hold up four fingers and just point to a different finger with each phrase. Come through in a hurry. Come through in a hurry. Come through in a hurry. Alabama gal. That second phrase, come through in a hurry, is the one with the lowest pitch. Okay, is that higher or lower than the lowest pitch we know right now? And depending on what melodic sequence you are using, it's possible that the lowest pitch you know at this current moment in time in terms of, of cognitive musical knowledge is low law. So we're going to figure out that target phrase, come through in a hurry. We've done this ear training work so that we can actualize it on our own so that we have the vocabulary and the critical thinking skills that we need to create something else. So students will figure out that target phrase on barred instruments with a partner. This as an aside is very easy for students to do if they have been trained in this kind of ear first approach as opposed to uh, visual notation first. We can do the exact same thing with tightrope. Something told me it was you. Phrase one. Something told me it was you. Something told me it was you. And the last phrase. Something told me it was you. Phrase three has that lowest pitch. So same thing. We're going to figure out, is it higher or lower than what we know so far? How much higher or how much lower? And then we can figure it out on barred instruments with a partner. Okay, so now we've had an experience, we have noticed something, so we've moved from the known to the unknown, and now let's do something with that information. Let's improvise or arrange with low so. And as a quick aside, it's not that we could not do this activity first. Um, students do not need to know cognitively that a step below low law is called low so in this classroom. You could just say, hey, play around with these notes on the barred instrument. That would be a totally, totally acceptable pathway of musical understanding. It's just that for the purpose of making meaning with our friends in a community setting, it's helpful to know what we are playing, what musical vocabulary we are working with.
So with Alabama Gal, let's improvise with low so. And we are going to sing the first two little subphrases, and then we will improvise the next two. So we will sing, come through in a hurry, come through in a hurry. I don't know how, how, I don't know how, how. Right, and so on and so forth. We can do the same thing with the Zane song, but this time, because there's so much space in between that text, let's just improvise in the empty space. So we could have something like, Something told me it was you. 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 Or whatever it is. Notice that even though we want to have this conscious improvisation experience with low so, there are no parameters around the rhythm. We don't need to place very strict parameters around the rhythm because we are improvising within a context. And this is probably uh, the subject for another episode. But when we create the context first and then have students walk through a series of activities to make meaning on their own, as opposed to us saying, all right, friends, uh, please read this rhythm on the board. Okay, now please change something about it. Completely devoid of an actual music experience, the, the experience that students have is just very different. So we don't need to say, uh, please improvise for eight beats or please improvise in simple duple meter. We've established that context already. It just makes it much more natural for students to take the reins and create musical meaning on their own. So the next step that I would do or that I would recommend would be to have students work with a partner and one partner sings the song, whether that be Alabama Gal or Tightrope or whatever song you are using. Uh, one partner sings it and then the other plays an improvisation on bard instruments. So you're going back and forth and there's you know all sorts of things that you could do uh, with this after you have that experience. But just for our purposes today, we're going to work with a partner. One sings the portion of the song, the other improvises, and then you can go back and forth and switch jobs. This is, you know, when we talk about music and meaning, another area where we want to build meaning is with these social and emotional learning competencies and where they tie into these artistic processes that we have of create, perform, respond, and connect. One of the uh, relationship skills that we want to use is to utilize positive communication and social skills to interact effectively with others. Okay, so if we want to utilize that SEL competency with this music experience, we've already done it. We don't need to create a separate SEL activity, although we certainly could. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But we could also use this creative collaboration approach that we were doing already and just highlight that when we are creating and conceptualizing artistic ideas and work, we can do that in community. All right. This topic of popular music as it kind of coincides with the elemental style is a really big topic with lots of opportunities for lots of different approaches. 
This is something that could be a book. This could be a collegiate course. This could certainly be a workshop, you know, and, and definitely already is. What I mean to say is this is a topic that deserves more time than a 30 minute or so podcast can give it. But hopefully we have looked at some characteristics of elemental music. We have looked at how they can interact very naturally with pop music and where they are in natural fit. And then some of the choices that we can make when we use pop music in the classroom. And then we've looked at kind of the pedagogy side. So away from the very specific elemental style analysis of pop music and more like how could this music live in the classroom? I want to reiterate that this is one idea, but there are truly, really, and truly infinite possibilities with how pop music could live in the classroom. Hopefully this is enough of a framework to get us started thinking in this direction. If you, like so many of us, did not have any training outside uh, classical music and then folk music in the classroom as far as pedagogy goes. So we're going to look at pop music with the elemental style and ask, what is here that I can use? What are the elemental style, the elemental forms, the elemental structures that I can use? And what is here that students can experience? And then with that kind of analysis done, we can look at a pedagogy portion of this question and say, how is this song going to live in the classroom? And how can I use this song to craft intentional experiences for students.